Welcome to the Human Voice Explained. My name is Hugh Becher. I'm a vocal coach for public speakers, singers, executives, and performance artists. In this podcast, I'm sharing how the voice massively influences our well-being and accomplishments every day, and how we can help it help us. Because no one's going to hear us if our voice can't make them listen. Episode 2, Public Speaking Essentials, Part 2. A quick note on beforehand. If this is the first time you listen to The Human Voice Explained, it may be worth checking out the first part of this two-part episode, as well as episode one, which is a general introduction to the science about and the abilities of the human voice. Continuing with some housekeeping. It's been a while since this pilot series started, and due to all the circumstances, I never got to releasing the second part of this second episode. And in the meantime, a lot has changed. First and foremost, I got feedback from many of you about the first two episodes, the most important of which was, while most of you like it, many of you feel like I could spread out the content of the episodes over many more instances. Like one of you put it, it feels like there are 10 episodes in half an hour. And I kind of agree. I find that I'm honestly better at zooming into one aspect of the human voice rather than to tell overarching stories about it. So from next week on, when I hopefully also don't have a goal anymore, I'm producing a weekly episode about one particular feature of the human voice. But for now, because many of you have asked me explicitly to please still do so, let me share the long-awaited second part of the second episode of the pilot series. Last time, we left the story after initially looking at why the speaking voice is important and how we can define a good voice. To briefly refresh your memory, we saw that because our brain prioritizes sound over visuals and language, the voice directly and massively influences how the speaker's looks and words will be interpreted by the listener. Also, we saw that our own voice influences how we feel about ourselves as we speak. We saw that by looking at these different audience groups and their respective priorities, we can pinpoint what effects a voice should have on everyone involved to qualify as good. Of course, there is no point in knowing these things without translating them into vocal action. That's why today we'll pick up the story looking at the building blocks of vocal sound and vocal execution and exploring how these can be used to design or redesign the perfect voice for any occasion. Also, we'll look at some common vocal pitfalls to avoid. To be able to describe vocal sound and execution, history has provided us with a wide range of terms and notions like projection, gravitas, depth, resonance and tone of voice, just to name a few. What all of these have in common, though, is that they have traditionally been used as subjective interpretations of the voice, as a result of which they're not universally applicable. In other words, even though some of them are still widely used today, they don't have a fixed, measurable meaning, which is the main reason why I won't be using any of them in this podcast, since I hope for this information to be useful to anyone independent of their cultural context. Luckily, 
The main components of the voice, namely time, sound and muscle and brain activity, can be measured. And even though these measurements can always be improved, they are precise enough today to be translated into universal building blocks of voice. This means that there is a short yet finite list of basic characteristics of vocal sound and vocal execution, allowing us to not only coherently analyze any voice out there, but also to design and redesign any desired voice from scratch. That's why, on our exploration of what a good speaking voice is for any given situation, this is where we continue. We'll look at the basic characteristics of vocal sound and at the most important parameters of vocal execution. These will allow us to translate our knowledge of what the voice should do into actual vocal action in time and space. Every building block out there is made up of no more than nine basic characteristics. Think of these as the building blocks or ingredients of vocal sound. Because they allow us to understand vocal sound and enable us to design a perfect vocal sound from scratch, I'll briefly introduce them here. The first characteristic is vibration. Vibrations in the air can either be regular, resulting in a tone like this, or many of those altering tones like the ones I'm using in my speech, or irregular, also known as vocal fry or a creaky voice. The second one is pitch. Our voice can have a high pitch, a low pitch, or anything in between. The third characteristic is aspiration. The amount of aspiration matters. A voice can be fully aspirate, also known as whispering, but it can also contain tone up to the point where there's so little aspiration that I can hardly hear I'm actually exhaling in order to speak. Then comes loudness. Pretty straightforward. A voice can be loud and a voice can be soft. The fifth characteristic is less straightforward to most people. Prestness. A bit of a tongue breaker. Prestness is all about whether a voice sounds in any way pressed. This is an example of a slightly pressed voice. This is an example of a very pressed voice. This is an example of a voice that is not pressed at all, also known as a free voice. Yes, that's right, the same free voice that is a major part in vocal freedom or vocal liberty, the third main branch in vocal education beside public speaking and singing. The sixth is vibrato, not to be confused with vibration, which was the first characteristic. Vibrato is the simultaneous altering of pitch and loudness, like so. But in order for that to happen, we have to keep our pitch unspeech-like long, and since that would define singing rather than speaking, it's possible to argue that vibrato really doesn't apply to speaking. To be continued some next time when we dive headfirst into singing. Vocal sound characteristic number seven and eight are two versions of vocal sound color. Now, this is an important part to pay attention to because sound color can be very powerful, but there's also a lot of misconceptions around it. 
Sound color can be neutral like this. It can be dark like this. It can be bright like this. Or it can be dark and bright at the same time. Note that dark isn't the same as what people call warm or deep voices, and that bright does not equal nasalized. That's because a nasalized voice sounds like this. The final vocal sound characteristic is nasality. It defines whether a voice sounds nasalized or oral, meaning not nasalized, like this. A sound can. I said. A sound can also be fully nasal, but that's not very practical in most cases for obvious reasons. Now, all nine of these basic vocal sound characteristics can change over time. In a process, I like to call vocal execution, which is short for the execution of vocal characteristics in time and space. To keep things clear. I'll refer to the different processes of changing characteristics as vocal execution parameters. Today, I'll mention the most common ones: melody, dynamics, diction, and speed. Melody is what happens when we change pitch as we speak. Not doing so at all results in a robot-like, monotonous voice, literally meaning one tone, meaning one single pitch in hertz. Wow! We can also vary the degree of melodic bandwidth, making it more melodic or less melodic. Dynamics is what happens when we change. Vocal loudness levels. The most well-known example of this is stressing things by suddenly increasing or decreasing loudness levels. Next up is diction. When making consonants and vowel sounds, we can have low diction levels, also known as mumbling, or high diction levels, where every part of every sound of a language is well audible. Consonants and vowels. Directly influence the sound of the voice too, so it's important to keep them in mind. Today's final vocal execution parameter is speed. It's what happens when we speed up all the way or slow down all the way. Notice that we can also do this within words, but also in between words. Okay, it's about time for an example. Let's go back to where we left that tech individual and their audience of superiors at the meeting room presentation example we met last time. In case you just listened to that episode, great. And if you didn't, now would be an excellent time to go back and do so. The analysis of the case I'm about to dive back into starts halfway down minute twelve of that episode. Let me refresh your memory with an oversimplified super summary. The presenting tech individual is a 37-year-old who feels like their data team and data in decision making in general aren't valued enough in their company, whereas management enters the meeting unsure of the exact value of their time being spent in that meeting. Let's, for the sake of the example, assume that the individual who wants to improve their voice sounds like this. Notice how their voice is somewhat aspirate, meaning that you can hear a degree of sighing in it. Notice that the loudness level is not that high, that there is a medium level of nasality, that the speed isn't constant, speeding up bits and taking long pauses to restore the balance. And notice the melody actually never 
goes down all the way, but kind of stays in the middle. Now, I'm not saying all tech people sound like this. This is just based on an example I found in a YouTube video. The person speaking is actually highly qualified, but you may notice that it can be challenging to focus on the content when I speak like this. I would advise the speaker to start with the low-hanging fruit, meaning the sound characteristic or execution parameter that makes most impact at the lowest effort. In this case, that could be melody. Instead of ending every phrase with an upward melody, I would ask the speaker to insert downward phrases, because these suggest punctuation, making it easier for the listener to hear beginnings and endings of phrases and bullet points. Then I would ask them to slow down the fast parts of their speech, making it easier for the audience to understand the words and allowing the speaker to coordinate content, body language and speech simultaneously. Then I would have them lower their nasality level and ultimately I would have them lower the aspiration level too. Optionally, I would suggest raising the dark sound color level slightly. I would leave it there though for the time being because otherwise I'd assume the individual feels like they are no longer making an authentic sound. To explain my choices as a voice coach, I'll rerun the steps and share some of the background to those steps. First, I'd advise them to use plenty of downward melodic curves, because these are typical endings like in and they lived happily ever after. These melodic curves function like interpunction in spoken language, helping us to structure the information both as speakers and as listeners. Consequently, the listeners would feel taken seriously because they are offered structured information while the speaker transmits authority and calms everybody down by taking a breather every now and then. Next, I'd advise the speaker to slow down because that exposes detail in their speech and language. This means that the speaker has more time to manage what they say and how they say it, while the listeners are given an opportunity to actually register the information and have it sink in. Next, I would suggest getting rid of high nasality levels because in my experience as a voice coach and speaker, this is not appreciated by many native English speakers, making it harder for them to focus on content and perceive the speaker as confident and worth their time. Also, I would suggest lowering aspiration levels to make the sound a bit more neutral and slightly louder, which helps the speaker's sense of presence in the room and allows the listener to understand this unamplified voice better. Finally, I would suggest adding some darkness to the sound color, as this is often found in more senior or relaxed voices, suggesting maturity and confidence to both the speaker and the listeners. A good voice, then, is a voice that does the job for the relevant audience. This audience can be the speaker themselves, profile audience or anonymous audience, and defining which of these audience groups is most important defines what kind of job the voice is supposed to be doing. And if we know what the voice should be doing, we can design a corresponding combination of vocal sound characteristics and vocal execution parameters. That gives us a clear idea of a well-functioning voice for that particular case.
We can then use that information to access whether a particular speaker's voice is fit for the job. Or we can use it to start learning to control the characteristics and parameters, the recipe, if you will, in order to ultimately add that particular voice to our own vocal repertoire. And that's it for voice design. Now, finishing today's episode, we'll briefly look at some of the most common pitfalls in public speaking and how to avoid them. First up is speeding. If I had to make an estimate based on a decade of vocal coaching and hearing so many different voices out there, I'd say that three out of four people speak too fast for what they're trying to do. The effect is like reading a text without any punctuation or capitalization, a long string of all lowercase words, no single white line, page after page. When actually instead, a one-page text of five paragraphs may have done the job. Because merely slowing down feels weird, it forces the speaker to focus on parameters like melody, dynamics, and diction, all of which make it easier to follow what they're saying. And taking more time per word is not necessarily a bad thing. It forces the speaker to choose their words more carefully, which they now have time for since they can focus on multiple things at once exactly because they are slowing down. That allows for the speaker to feel at ease and on point, making the listeners feel calm and taken seriously. Second in the list of common vocal pitfalls is low and high voice confusion. Many people use the words high and low to describe not just pitch, but also loudness in voices. A low voice would then not just be low in pitch, but also in volume. And the other way around! This makes sense because the human ear registers higher sounds in hertz as louder. But in the context of most public speaking, it means that people are too loud when they're trying just to get a little bit more melodic or too soft when they're trying to sound more senior by lowering their average pitch. Pitfall number three is increasing prestness as an indicator of importance and urgency. Typically, when the body is doing something difficult, it tenses the abdominal muscles, which makes sense in the context of physical challenge, because it increases the general stability of the body. However, when we do this in speaking, the resultant narrowing of the throat causes the voice to sound pressed. Now, when trying to communicate importance and urgency, it may be tempting to start sounding tense, but when asking the question how audiences should feel afterwards, the answer is probably not tense and miserable, right? But rather calm and willing to act. Then, perhaps, rather than sounding pressed, it may be better to adjust other variables like speed, diction, and melody. Which brings me to the fourth and final common vocal pitfall. Taking our own voice for granted. In my career as a voice coach, I've met countless individuals who are utterly convinced that their voice would never change for the better, until they experienced otherwise. And though I take pride in my work, it's certainly not magic. The voice is essentially flexible, and like a muscle, 
it can change and still be authentic. And that's it. The two-part episode about public speaking essentials. I hope that it showed you that although most of us fear public speaking to some degree, all of us can learn to define and create a good voice for any occasion, making full use of perhaps the most powerful and empowering human ability. If you have questions or comments about today's episode, you can email me at podcast at the vocal.coach. If you like the show, please follow, rate and review it wherever you listen. My mission is to provide quality information and awareness about the voice to as many people as possible. And by rating, following or sharing the podcast, you make it much easier for others to find it. Should you want to improve your voice with professional assistance or learn more about my background and work, visit thevocal.coach. I'll put all the relevant links in the show notes. This episode of The Human Voice Explained was produced by me, Joop Hegger, in my new studio. And I think you can still hear it. You can still hear the room, it's quite beautiful. But we want to focus on sound and sound alone. So next week you will not be hearing the room sound, but you will be hearing the first episode of the new proper series in less than 10 days. So thank you very much for listening and have a great week.